But if we really listen to that, what is it that keeps being in the back of your mind? I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to, what does that look like to kind of explore that even just for the next two weeks? You know, Elizabeth Gilford, the writer says, have an affair with yourself. Go do something. No one needs to know about it. It's kind of this little secret fun thing. And you get to go do whatever you want. It doesn't have to mean anything. And nobody even has to know about it. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik. And in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, you already have all the talent that you need to succeed. If you're feeling stuck, and there's so many ways that you might be feeling stuck, right? You could be very stuck in your negative thoughts and kind of stuck in that cycle of self-criticism where you're being so hard on yourself and you can only see the negative and then because you're in a bad state of mind, you mess something up and then it just feeds the cycle. Or maybe you're feeling stuck in your job and you kind of know you're not in the right place and you're not where you're supposed to be, but you don't know exactly where you should be and you just have no forward motion there. Or You know, maybe you are in the right place, but you're just feeling really, really stuck in that Monday through Friday grind. And it's just feeling like this vortex or this black hole that that just sucks you in. And it's kind of like Groundhog Day repeating itself over and over. And you're like, okay, so this is adulthood. (laughs) I guess this is it. If you're having any of those kinds of feelings, then today's episode will be very helpful to you. Today, I'm talking with Carrie Clark. And Carrie is a consultant and a coach and she works both with companies and individuals, oftentimes very senior leaders, to help get them unstuck, essentially. And one of the ways that she does this is by helping people achieve this point of peak performance that is also aligned with their happiness. So it's this magical state of doing well and feeling good while you're doing it, and that's what today's episode is all about. My absolute favorite thing about Carrie is that she's a walking encyclopedia. She has a study or a tip or a tactic or a tip and a tactic that's supported by a study for so many of the problems or sticking points that we tend to get stuck on. And I'll talk more about this in the outro, but she shared a tip with me on how to feel more confident and how to feel better about yourself, and it's been working so well. So I would encourage you to... Open your mind to what she's sharing, and if you hear a tip that resonates with you, try it out. I put them all in the show notes, and I can vouch (laughs) that they do work, and I'll talk more about that at the end. But for now, let's get straight into my conversation with Carrie Clark. So my background is I was trained as an attorney and practiced law on and off for kind of about 10 years, and then shifted into a sales role, and then met my husband who lived in New Zealand. So moved over there, and I did kind of headhunting, executive recruiting, and got introduced to executive coaching when I was over there. 
And when we returned to the States about five years ago, I defaulted back as a lawyer and quickly realized that wasn't what I, how I wanted to spend my life and knew enough about kind of the coaching arena. And so I started my own coaching and consulting practice about a year and a half, two years ago. So that's what I'm doing now. Wonderful. And one of the things that you see and often focus on in some of your work is mindset and struggle. I would love to hear how that shows up and what you've seen. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, kind of an old saying in sales is sell them what they want, but give them what they need. And anytime that I'm working with either a small business owner, or maybe it's an executive or a vice president, a lot of times what they want is to make more money and you know have more time, but better bottom line. But at the end of the day, it's often where their mindset sits. And so people have what you know sometimes can be called a limiting belief. And I tell people, you, you often don't know you have a limiting belief because you want your brain and who you are believes it as a truth. But a limiting belief is really anytime you say the words, I always, I never, I am. And so a lot of people grow up saying, I'm bad at math. I'm a horrible athlete. I'm not a morning person. I'm really bad at public speaking. And these are stories that we tell ourselves that actually can become a truth because that's the way our brain processes everything. And so an interesting story that I like to tell anyone regarding mindset, because it is something that's antidotal, is back in the 1950s, there was a guy called Roger Bannerman, and he's famous for breaking the four-minute mile. Before he broke that barrier, it was known worldwide. There was doctors, there was physicists, everybody studied it. They said it was impossible for the human body to break a four-minute mile. So guess what? No one broke the four-minute mile. Roger Bannerman spent two years doing nothing but visualizing. He still did his training, but he admits it wasn't actually as um, rigorous. And guess what? He breaks the four-minute mile, and he broke it by a full second, which is actually a lot. And so people go, well, okay, maybe he was going to do it anyways. I think the story is more beneficial for after that. So Roger Bannerman breaks it in 1954. The next day, another guy did it. And then another guy did it. And then another guy did it. The second everybody was given permission and told it was actually possible, then all of a sudden there was all these people breaking the four minute mile. And so our brains really are that powerful and they do what we tell them to do. You know, our, our brain has two jobs. One is to keep us alive and two it's to keep efficiencies so that we can stay alive, conserving calories, so to speak. And so we process everything as a life or death. You know, it's the lion at the door and the caveman times. And so we have to look at it. Okay, if I'm scared of starting a new business or I'm scared of public speaking, our brain sees that exactly the same as life or death. So once we know we're safe, then our brain wants to go to the least amount of pain or discomfort or unknown because it wants to conserve its energy. So going into new avenues or trying something new seems scary and now it's not defaulting on stuff that we already know. Is it more of a long-term kind of like mindfulness practice to have that not get in the way so much? Or is it more about how you handle these things in the moment that you're feeling afraid or thinking like, I can't do this? Well, I think it's both. I think it's a muscle, just like you can't go to the gym once a year and be like, all right, I'm good. I'm done with my cardio for the year. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> 
Yeah, I would. And there's a lot of shortcuts that, you know, I think we're all looking for. But, you know, at the end of the day, what your mindset is and how you see the world is every day. You know, we 95% of all of our decisions are done unconsciously or subconsciously. And so we're not even aware of everything that's out there. We process 400 billion bits of information every second, or we're exposed to it. We can't process all of that. We're lucky if we can process 2,000 bits of information. That's still per second. So what is it that we're filtering out? And why do we see some things and not another? You know, the clinical term for it is we have a reticular activating system. And what that is, is it's a filter of how our brain sees everything. So we get to tell it what to focus on. And so a lot of people go, oh, this is really woo-woo and glass half full type of thing. No, if have anyone's ever had a red car, the day they bought it, they felt like everybody they knew had a red car. Or when you're off looking for a new pair of black shoes, as soon as you buy that shoe, meaning you know it's possible, now all of a sudden you see black shoes that you love everywhere. That's not serendipity. That's literally your brain filtering and focusing on things that it already knows to be true. And so if we look at, you know, our job or really anything, we get to choose how we view it and we get to tell our brain which of those 400 billion bits of information should I focus on. And so it really does become a Pollyanna of the more good you see, the more good you see. And it can swing the other way, too. I mean, I know I've experienced this. You're you're only you're literally only able to see the things that you're bad at or the things that you messed up or the things that went wrong and you're i've had times where i'm completely blinded to an accomplishment or a strength or a skill yeah and that's again you go back to our brains trying to keep us safe so we do remember the bad things more because it's a survival technique you know there's some people that say for every negative thing you hear you've got to hear seven good things to cancel that out or you know for every bad thing you do, you've got to do seven. You really do remember it. That's true because you remember it more clearly because your brain's trying to keep you safe. So that is when you have to be even more attentive to what are the good things. And so an exercise that I often have people do when their confidence is low is make a list of a hundred accomplishments. And people often kind of gasp at it and then they get a little bit excited and they write the first (laughs) 20, no problem. And then like 21 through 100. Well, guess what? Did you walk without tripping today? Because guess what? That's actually pretty amazing. Did you have running water in your house? You know, did you tie your shoes the first time? I mean, the amount of things that we do every day, all you have to do is watch a baby and realize how much they can't do on their own before you're like, wow, I actually am pretty amazing. So whatever you're focusing on, whatever you're telling your brain or your reticular activating system or your mindset, all those things can be similar, but we get to choose. We get to choose how we see the world. Speaking of, you know, going back to that idea of what is possible, one thing that was very helpful for me in my evolution and believing things are possible for me in my career is getting much more in tune with things that I'm good at and actually admitting to myself and believing that I'm good at those things. But it was very difficult for me to uncover them and acknowledge them and really like on a deep level believe it. I would be curious to hear your opinions on A, how people can 
uncover what they're good at and B, what kind of effect that like what kind of transformational effect that can have on them and their work if they actually put the time in to go through that self-discovery process? Well, I, I have a little bit of a mixed answer because just because someone's good at something, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so a lot of times people will say, you know, I, in high school, I'm six feet tall. In high school, I was playing basketball because that's what you do when you're tall. But I kind of always wanted to be in the school plays. And so just because you're automatically, you know, skilled at something, I think the bigger question is when you look back at your life, what have you really enjoyed doing? Because there is very, very few things out there that you can't upskill. I mean, how many times have we seen an actor all of a sudden come out in a musical and you're like, oh my God, I had no idea they could sing. They couldn't. They did like, you know, two years worth of voice lessons or whatever. And so I think it is partly owning what your strengths are and not shying away. And statistically, women are always downplaying their accomplishments and men overestimate their accomplishments. That's a lot of our conditioning. You know, women are told, be quiet, be, be pretty, you know, don't mess around. And boys are be assertive, you know, tackle, play football. And so it's, it's a little bit owning that, you know, it's okay to have a voice. It's okay to stand up for yourself. But more importantly, what do you love doing? And, you know, there's a lot of books like, you know, what color is your parachute and those type that help you kind of figure out your calling that talk about what did you love doing when you were 10? Because when you're 10, ba your basic aptitudes have been, uh, you know, created, which by the way, you can change a lot of them. But what are things that you connected with? And that when did you lose time? You know, what was something that your mom would have to say, you've got to put down that book, you've got to come out from the yard, you know, you've got to quit bouncing the basketball and have to remind you to come in and eat. Well, what if someone were to tell you that they're unhappy in their job and they find it really, really boring? And the thing that they lose time in is hanging out with their friends or, you know, doing something super recreational and they they feel very far away from that. How how can people get closer to finding what that is? Well, it depends, because some people would say, I don't really care that much about my job, but then it's great because I don't have to worry about it. I clock out at five. I have a good time and I get a paycheck. I don't really want to change that. But if someone said, my job is so mind numbing, I literally want to find something else. Start, start big with what you do want good to look like as far as your thinking and your dreaming and your feeling, but then start really small with what's one small step you can take tomorrow to explore, you know, what else you might want to do. An exercise I have people do sometimes when they go, well, I don't actually know what I want to do. I call it a curiosity journal. I say for two weeks, I want you to write down anything that you notice that you're like, huh, I wonder how that happens. Like, huh, I wonder how hot air balloons work. Huh, I wonder how the light sequences work downtown. Huh, I wonder whatever crosses your mind, no matter how big or small it is, what is kind of piquing your curiosity? Write it down, you know, write it down and say light sequencing in downtown or how do airplanes fly? And you'll think it's just a whole bunch of random gibberish. And after two weeks, 
you'll go back and look at it and there'll be something that you kind of can't stop thinking about. You know, huh, I have always wondered about gardening. And so then get curious about that. What would that mean for gardening? Is there even any jobs? Huh, I don't know. What would that look like if I got a book? What would that look like if I talked to a gardener? And if you take the pressure off of having the answer and just come from a pure place of curiosity, one, it's a huge relief. Because anytime someone's in a job transfer, it's like, I just need money tomorrow and I don't care what it is. Or, you know, I don't even know where to start. And so dream big, but act small. You don't have to have it figured out tomorrow. But how is a way that you can get curious about something you've always thought about? I mean, there's tons of people who say, oh, I've always dreamed about being a kindergarten art teacher. Well, you know, you can do that. You know, no one has, nothing is set in stone. So explore what that would look like. Maybe go observe a kindergarten class. Maybe go take some kindergartners and, you know, down your street and offer to do an art class with them. I mean, none of those things cost any money. None of those things, like, are an ultimate decision. You know, your your whole life's not going to go upside down if you pick up a book on art. (laughs) But let yourself get curious about it instead of, putting that pressure on yourself to make what your brain thinks is a life or death decision. And it, like you said, you don't have to put pressure on yourself to get to that end point right away. You just have to not limit yourself by saying, well, that's not an option for me. So I'm not even going to take like a little step because I can never get to what I would ever want. Well, and it's just, yeah, it's just saying, what if I got curious about that? And what does that mean? Because today it might mean researching, getting your master's in creative arts. You know, next week it might be taking someone that has that degree out to lunch and, and asking them about it. But that's where it's tapping in. Your body knows what you really want to do, your intuition, your brain, whatever you want to call it, which is why you feel uncomfortable or like bad if you're in something that's not a good fit. So if you know when you're in a bad situation, you know, think about when people call it a sixth sense where you walk into an elevator and there's someone that makes you feel uncomfortable. You instantly have that reaction and you don't have it with everybody, but you do with some people. And then you go and do all the chitter chatter of why, oh, I shouldn't do this and this person's fine and whatever. But if we really listen to that, what is it that keeps being in the back of your mind? I've always wanted to be a writer. I've always wanted to What does that look like to kind of explore that even just for the next two weeks? You don't even have to tell anyone about it. You know, Elizabeth Gilford, the writer, says, have an affair with yourself. Go do something. No one needs to know about it. It's kind of this little secret fun thing. And you get to go do whatever you want. It doesn't have to mean anything. And nobody even has to know about it. I think it kind of goes back to being a child versus not being a child because I feel like children are naturally like this like this is just what they do existing is like they follow what makes them happy in the moment and they have this curiosity and there's some point where we lose that but that is what makes life worth living essentially like that's where all the specialness is well and there's even science that supports that that NASA did a study about 30 years out of 40 years ago because they couldn't find people that were qualified to be their engineers. And so they hired this group of scientists to go out and research, basically saying, where's our talent pool going to come from? 
And they tried people from different backgrounds and they started doing different ages and they started going younger and younger. And they found that their tests were getting better and better. The conclusion of the study, they came out with the results that 98% of five-year-olds test as creative genius. 98% of five-year-olds are creative genius. By the time you get to 30, it's less than 2% of the population that will test that way. Kids aren't ashamed. Kids ask a ton of questions. Kids assume everything's going to work out. You know, my kids last year asked to go to Disneyland for Christmas. They just assumed that was what was going to happen. They weren't like, oh, I hope or I'm worried. You know, my kids are five and seven. They were like, no, that's what we're doing. Well, guess what? We did go to Disneyland. So, you know, they just never, when they call and ask a friend over, you know, the other day, my daughter asked if she could call a 10-year-old over for a play date. And I was going, well, I don't know. She wasn't thinking about whether or not, you know, a 10-year-old was going to come to a five-year-old's house. It was like, well, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. But they are wide-eyed and curious and playful with everything. And, you know, companies are finally grabbing on to the concept of play. You know, and if you Google, there's all sorts of great TED Talks and research that if you introduced play into your life and into anything you do, the statistic is 61% more likely to complete a task that you think is fun. And so companies have figured that out. And I have a client who she wasn't doing her accounting. She wasn't doing her accounts payable or accounts receivable because she hated it. And she she thought she was bad at it. And it just became this huge thing. She was going to go out of business because she was literally not invoicing and processing her payment. And so we did all these different exercises and found out that she loved unicorns when she was little. So she literally went and got a unicorn hat that she puts on right before she does her accounting, which now takes her like 15 minutes a week. But it's this like super fun thing and she's all excited and it's like becomes this game for her. It's the same job she was doing before the unicorn hat. But for her, that became this fun thing. You know, and people listening to this will be like, oh, great, I have to go buy a unicorn hat. No, but what can <laughs> you do to make it more fun? Mm-hmm. You know, what can you do in any part of your day or any part of your job that makes it more fun? Because by the way, look at a kid. You know, and look how easy kids learn new concepts and new skills and new languages. They don't put an attachment on it. It's a game to them. And there's an openness, too. And I feel like that openness can really propel you forward because you start thinking, oh, what do I want? What is my goal? What is my dream? And you you stop thinking like, well, what am I good enough for? And what am I what am I able to fill and what am I qualified for? And I mean... There's a time and a place for that, maybe, but I think that more expansive way of viewing things can be so powerful. Well, my one of my favorite quotes is from Henry Ford, and he's famous for saying, if you think you can or you can't, you're right. And it seems very convenient, and a lot of people will say, oh, well, it doesn't work, and blah, blah, blah. You know what? Try it. Try it even for two weeks where you say, how could I make this more fun? You know, does that mean I'm going to play music when I'm doing the dishes? Or am I going to light a fun candle? Or am I going to give myself a reward at the end of this? There's tons of ways to make things more fun or more playful. You know, I 
do a lot of writing for Thrive Global, which is one of the Huffington Post things. And one of my articles was on pets in the workplace. And it was shown to increase productivity, decrease quarrels amongst coworkers. I mean, the output that they were getting, because it was this like playful thing. When's a dog ever in a bad mood? (laughs) Never. And so it just kind of rubbed off on everybody. And, you know, there's, there's a paddleboard company that's famous for switching their work hours to five hour workday. Their profits went up 30%. You know, all these things that we think we have to do, you have to work long time, you have to do this, you have to be mean to your employees, your boss has to be a jerk, or it's not a good job. We've just kind of made this stuff up. The crazy thing to me is that there's such high ROI in this. How are more companies not trying to go to town and figure out like how they can get this insane level of performance and cut costs and create this atmosphere like the paddleboarding company? I think it's I really do think it's moving in that direction. And I think that people are more open every day with different ways of doing things. I I can't remember if it's Google or Apple, but one of them in their marketing meetings used to have a challenge of who could come up with the worst idea. (laughs) that sounds so fun well it took the pressure off of people being embarrassed of having the idea it was who cares you know a, a fun exercise for that that we can do personally is when you're kind of on the fence about something or you're wondering about it is write 10 questions that start with what if so what if i quit my job what if i quit my job in six weeks what if i quit my job tomorrow What if I quit my job and became a tightrope walker? What if, do whatever you want, be, give yourself permission to write whatever you want, but there'll be something that pops out in the midst of that, that you're like, yeah, that one I kind of can't stop thinking about. Kind of opening the gates so that like you're bringing all these new ideas in and most of them you won't use, but in that stampede of ideas you're allowing some other stuff in that you wouldn't have accessed if you hadn't started thinking that way. Exactly. I call it kind of fine tuning your creativity muscle. Most of us aren't very creative all day. You know, go back to the statistic that 95% of all our behavior is done unconsciously or subconsciously. We basically are like going through life like robots. And our body does it because it thinks our brain thinks it's keeping us safe. New, scary, old, good. Even if something is uncomfortable, we'll continue to do something that's current. It's why people continue to smoke. It's how drug addiction happens. Hey, even though it's bad for me, it's better than the unknown. We'll reframe it and get excited about it. But taking the pressure off yourself will allow some of that creativity to be able to kind of pop up. I love that. And it's fun. That's the cool thing about it is it's enjoyable. It's not a hard thing to do. Well, and you don't have to go like spray paint your office or something. But what's just one small thing that you could do tomorrow that would make your day more fun? It could be a plant on your desk. It could be the littlest thing. It totally can. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, I have little reminders that will pop up on my phone because you have things that come up that you may or may not want to do. So I have things pop up. You know, like maybe it's something like you're amazing or don't forget to look outside or I'll do all sorts of weird ones because you really can get on automatic pilot. Has having children naturally brought some of that more into your life? You know, it's interesting. It's I find what I 
do a lot of work on. I mean, I help people with strategic planning and hiring platforms, but a lot of it's mindset. And I laugh sometimes when some of the exercises we go through, I want to say, oh, you mean like how we used to be when we were five before it got beat out of us? And I do it to my kids too, you know, hurry up, finish that, stop asking questions, boom, 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 go to the next thing. And so they are good reminders to go, oh, wait a minute, they are, you know, showing me something that's cool. Yeah, we still have to get out the door to get to school. But there is an interesting concept that, you know, 98% of five-year-olds are creative genius. And Mm -hmm. when you look at the average 40-year-old, and they're being, you know, they're meditating, and they're being more mindful, and they're spending more time in nature, and they're getting more exercise oh, you mean like we did when we were in kindergarten, you know? And when I was younger, there was that poster hanging everywhere that says everything I need to know I learned in kindergarten. It's kind of true. Work should have recess. Well, think about it. You're more um, productive if you do have regular breaks. A lot of companies now have walking meetings, you know, get outside, walk around, you connect with each other, get out from behind your desk. I just have like these very positive memories of like rushing onto the yard to go play all of the games and being so excited. And when did we stop doing that? Middle school, maybe high school. Well, I mean, a lot of people say before. We live in a very strange world where we say we want these things and then we do these things that don't get us the things that we say we want, but we don't want to change. We're very strange creatures. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because we will do something even if it's uncomfortable, but it's known. So we'll keep reverting back. But it goes so much to silencing out some of the chatter. One thing that I'll even have big executives do is do like a, a cross on a piece of paper. So there's four categories. And I write mental, physical, spiritual, and emotional. And each of those four boxes and list three things in each of those areas that support you in that area. So what do you need to do to feel physically optimal? I've got to get eight hours of sleep. I've got to eat healthy food. I've got to exercise, you know, emotionally. How do I feel heard or supported? I've got to spend time with friends. I've got to go to my Bible study, whatever. Spiritually, what is it that you honor or reach out to? What is it that's important to you? And then mental, what are things that, that get you excited? What do you like learning about? And try to do one of those a week to start. But ideally, you should be doing one out of each category, if not three, every day. It's mental, physical, emotional, spiritual. Yep. Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, if we feel terrible and we're not sleeping, and we don't feel like we have a support system, Harvard's famous for that big study that I think it was like an 80 year study on happiness. And they studied rich people, poor people, everybody. And their ultimate conclusion was relationships are what end up, you know, resulting in someone being happy or not happy. So what are you doing to nurture your relationships? But I don't know how we can expect to go and solve all of our career problems or parenting problems or marital problems if we're not taking care of ourselves. If you have an iPhone, you know that if you plug it in when it's at like 50%, it charges up within like 15 minutes. But if you let it get down to zero, you actually have to turn it off and charge it for hours. 
we're the same way. If we're letting ourselves get below 50%, we really need to pay attention to that. It took me a long time to really understand that. So what are some things that you do? Oh, that's such a good question. I think I pay a lot more attention to how things make me feel. And so, you know, I do a lot of the same things I do. Like I'll make sure I'm socializing and spending time with people I like, but with much more of an awareness of who are the people I actually want to be spending my time with. And like these these decisions that I'm making on how I'm going to fill my time are they actually making me feel the way that I want to feel? Because a lot of times I will just go through the motions on autopilot and I'll stop for a minute and check in with myself and think like, oh, I don't want to be doing that, even though I thought I did. And so just noticing more what actually brings me enjoyment and noticing what's draining me. I think I used to just like push through all of that. And gosh, I don't know how I did it. I think I was just really unaware, but a really exhausting way to live your life. I think that's awesome. You know, saying, did it fill me up or did it drain me? Mm -hmm. And you might not have to have any other explanation than that. Because a lot of times it's like, well, but I really should do this or I should do that. Or there's a lot of different ways to, you know, achieve what your ultimate goal is. There's not just one path. The other big thing, I maybe this is helpful for people, is I just stopped seeing myself as the universal problem solver and the universal person who's responsible for doing everything and making sure everything is good and everyone's happy. And I have a, a very strong bias and tendency towards doing that because I just have this bias to action and I like things to be done well and I like to get things done. So it's kind of in my natural urge to like look around me and see what's not working and see what's broken and see how I can fix it. And I've had to untrain that in a lot of ways and just making sure that I'm exercising that muscle in ways that enhance my life and not in ways that I just feel the urge to, but it's actually not fulfilling me and it's actually leaving me feeling very drained and very depleted. Well, I think that's huge. I mean, when you said awareness, that's always the biggest thing. You know, are we aware that we're having a limiting belief? Are we aware something's draining us? Are we aware of something that makes us happy? And it seems obvious when you ask someone like, oh, what are five things that make you happy? You know, people say, oh, what's my ha- family? It's this and that or whatever. And you're like, no, but what do you enjoy doing? And it is not uncommon at all. And trust me, if you hang around lawyers, they're like the worst where you say, what do you like to do besides work? And people are like, well, I don't know. That's what I do. I work and I go to the grocery store and you know, that's it. And so doing things like a curiosity journal or thinking about what you love doing when you were five or 10, And just letting yourself ask questions about how could I make this a little bit more fun tomorrow? I completely agree. (laughs) That reminded me of a good friend of mine who had a glitter themed party and told everyone to wear really sparkly, really glittery, crazy things. And we were both telling each other, like, we should be doing this all the time. (laughs) We should have glittery nights out every single night. (laughs) Well, it is. And it can be something as obvious to that. And it can also gratitude is a big piece as well. One of the things we had talked about before was you said, what would you do if someone had a fear of public speaking? Well, one, you can go through the whole limiting belief, but a real quick solution is your brain can't be in a place of fear and gratitude at the same time. Impossible. 
And so, you know, if you're getting ready to public speak, all you have to do is think about how grateful you are that the sun rose today, whatever you want, something that you truly, truly feel grateful about. Your brain can't also be scared. And it's part of picking out every day, what's going right? What's Mm -hmm. going well? What are things in my life that I like and that I want more of? And what's interesting is the research on gratitude has shown that even the act of searching for something to be grateful for is just as beneficial as finding the thing that you're grateful for. So even if you say, okay, I'm going to find 10 things every day I'm grateful for, and you only get to like four, just the act of trying to get the five through 10 is actually going to create additional synapses in your brain. It starts rewiring you. And then back to that reticular activating system. Now we see more great things out there that are happening. Training yourself to look for the positive. It is. It really is like Pollyanna played the glad game. How can you be happy about the current situation. In psychology, it's called reframing. There's a story that another entrepreneur told about how he had a client who had a $100,000 launch and he had another client that had a $100,000 launch. Same month, same industry. One of them, it was like the best thing in his life. It was a game changer. The other one, it was the biggest disaster and he was like a mess over it. It was the same $100,000. It was the same business. And these guys are almost the same age. So the question is, why did one see it as a success and one see it as a failure? I could talk to you for a very long time, but I feel like now is a good time for me to get into the listener question, the closing questions. Otherwise, I may keep you here the entire night. (laughs) No, go ahead. All right, cool. Well, you started to hit on the listener question, but I'll ask it and then you can build upon it. So the question is, I'm so good at doing my actual job and so horrible at presenting the results of my work to my manager and other leads at my company. I'm just not good on the spot and in front of groups. How can I get my communication to match the quality of my work so that the value of what I'm doing is understood by those who don't work with me day to day? Sincerely, tongue tied. So we talked about the gratitude piece. You know, we talked about the mindset piece. But another thing I would encourage this listener to do is make a list of five things that she's great at at her job and really read those and feel those and embody those before she gets up and speaks. And the reason is, is because when we're talking to somebody, even if it's over email, you can tell if someone's in a bad mood. There's just something about it you can tell isn't quite right. You can tell if someone's being genuine. You can tell if someone's angry, even if they don't say anything bad. And if this person is really embodying, look, I'm really good at my job. I know this stuff really well. I'm great at communicating my things and embraces all of that. She can't help but portray that when she's talking, regardless of the words she uses. Now on, you know, strategical tactics, you know, you can do like a note card, you can do little bullet points of things that you want to say. You can practice with someone else. But if she's someone who's really good at her job and she knows she is, she's just not totally sure about how to present it. I want her to own and focus on why is she good at her job? Because that will remind her why she's the one out there speaking. I love that answer so much. I'm going to use that too. Well, there you go. This is stuff we all have to do. I mean, this is every day. This is stuff that I do in my own life and it's really no one's immune to it. I mean, I've worked with 
everything from the CFO of a large Fortune 50 company to, you know, a mom returning to work. Everybody has these same things. And the great thing is, is that we can change them all. Absolutely. And and even as you start to change them, then you start wanting bigger things for yourself. So the challenges get bigger and newer. So I feel like there's always something ahead where you can apply these things, you know, even if you're making progress. I don't think it'll ever stop. Well, it's what's the possible possibility that you have ahead of you? You know, the oh, more, I love the more you want to see and the more that you're capable of, then it does. It's the momentum, but it just widens that universe. You know, I tell people, you get to choose. If you want to be happy, then go do that. What's one small step tomorrow? You want a different job? Explore some of those options and what's one small step you can do tomorrow. It doesn't mean anything. It's just something to take you one step further to kind of clarifying what you do want. I love this. I'm feeling very open right now. I'm feeling like, ooh, <laughs> the world is at my fingertips. Well, there you go. You'll have to keep us posted what's next for you. I know. We'll see. I, I'm a serial career non-planner. I got a law degree and then I decided I didn't want to be a lawyer. And, and so I'm not very good at envisioning the future. <laughs> Well, but maybe you're really good at figuring out how you want to feel, and that's what you're following. That is very true, and I'm getting better and better at that every day. Well, from one person's law school to another, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no regrets about the decision I made. Maybe some regrets on getting the degree, but no regrets on changing my mind after. <laughs> Well, and, you know, it's interesting because it used to be that, you know, our grandparents had one job and they kept it forever. And then when I graduated from school kind of a while ago, they said that people would have between four and five careers. They're now saying that people are going to have 25 jobs minimum. And that's, that's okay. You get, you get to choose and variable. When I was placing CEOs, we would never expect someone to stay more than three years. And if someone had stayed more than three years, really more than five, you start to wonder how much they've grown. So there's always cool stuff right around the corner, but we kind of have to be open to, to seeing them. To change new possibilities. Yep. Wonderful. So I'm going to ask you the closing questions that I ask everyone. The first one is, this podcast is called The Art of Speaking Up. So I would love to hear from you what that means to you and why you think it's important. I think speaking up has a lot with sharing your voice with your audience. And sometimes the audience can be yourself. Sometimes it's your boss. Sometimes it's your kids. But I do think that if you really, really listen to your intuition and you feel like there's something you want to share, do it because it can literally change someone's life even if you think it's something really small, it could be something that empowered someone. You could speak up because you were worried about somebody's safety. You could speak up because you told someone that you liked their shirt today and that was all the difference they needed to have a good day. But when we use our voice for kind of, you know, use it for good, so to speak, that's what I think of when I think about speaking up. I love that using it to enhance the quality of other people's lives and experiences. Well, and our own. There's a, there's a study out there. It's called The Power of Eight by, no, I can't think of her name. 
but she did a huge study on what was like when people meditated or, you know, sent intentions to each other. And what they found is that the people that were receiving these good acts, it was half of what the people that were actually sending them. Mm. They found, and they have a, it's a scientific study on it in the book, that when we try to have things be better and send out good intentions, it actually benefits us twofold. That's so cool. I'm going to check that out. I'm going to check out these studies because I'm very fascinated by this stuff. Well, I'm full of them. I figure that's what I learned in law school was researching. I love it. I love hearing this stuff. Um, I'll get to the last question so that I don't keep you here too long. The question is about what you want to share with listeners. So I started this show to help women feel more confident, to help them feel less alone in whatever they're dealing with, just to reach them and make them feel seen and heard and good about themselves. So I wanted to turn the floor over to you to share whatever it is you would want women to hear. I think a big message that I would love for women to start embracing is that it doesn't have to be or. So it doesn't have to be a family or a career. It doesn't have to be vice president or you see your loved ones. That it can be and. I, I think the premise of you can have it all is, I don't know, There's a, that's a loaded sentence. And I think that you can have it all at different times. You can have it all of what it means to you. But you don't have to choose. You don't have to choose to be pretty or smart. You don't have to choose to be outspoken or well-liked. And next time that you know you, you question yourself and say, well, if I do that, that's going to happen. Reframe it to yourself and say, what if that's an and? What if I get to do both? And what if you approach a situation as if you do get to do both? I love that. Thank you so much, Carrie. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Carrie. I loved talking with her. I was blown away by her knowledge and her intelligence. She was really quick and sometimes hard for me to keep up with as an interviewer, which is an amazing compliment because she just had an insane amount of knowledge. So I hope you learned something in this episode. She suggested a bunch of different tactics and strategies, and I personally don't want to forget about all of them. So I listed them in the show notes in case you're wanting to go back and revisit some of the tips that she suggested and try them out for yourself. So pop into the show notes if you want to check that out. And she gave me another tip that we didn't cover in our interview, but she and I talked about it before we did the interview and it's been working so well for me. So I wanted to share it with you in case you're interested in giving it a try. And it's so freaky and I was so skeptical of it, but, it, but it's been working. So I want to share it. But basically she told me that if you have a goal that you're working towards or if there's something that you want to do or achieve or change, then in the morning or at night when you're brushing your teeth, Hold your toothbrush in the hand that you don't normally use to brush your teeth. And as you're brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand, think about your goal and in your head say an affirmation about the goal. So if you have like a big important meeting coming up at work while you're brushing your teeth with the opposite hand, say, 
I'm going to bring my best to the meeting or I'm going to do so well in the meeting. And think about that as you're brushing your teeth. I know it sounds super crazy and nuts, but um, Carrie is super science-based and evidence-based. So I was like, okay, I'll give this a whirl. And uh, it's been great. So I highly recommend that. I got kind of lost in the conversation with her. We went off script, which happens a lot, and I forgot to ask her where people can reach her. So if you're interested in learning more about her work, her website is nextlevelcoachconsult.com, and I will put the link in the show notes also. It's been wonderful talking with you. It has been so great to have everyone listening. Thank you so much. You have no idea what it means to me. This project has brought me so much fulfillment and joy, and I can't wait to continue it and see what's possible for all of us in our career journeys together. So thank you for listening, and I will catch you in the next episode. Have an amazing day. (laughs) Bye.